I remember when I first learned about the birds and the bees. And as a young boy, you're kind of curious. And then I figured out where people came from. Like, when a man and a woman have sex, that's where a person comes from. And then you start looking around, you're like, there are a lot of people. <laughs> Male and female were created by God intentionally to reflect his glory together. Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's word to be empowered and challenged today. Following Jesus with our bodies, week number three. You know, I noticed uh, about a year ago that there began to be more books that were being published about the human body. And I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, one of the people, one of the things I find that with people who leave the Christian faith, whatever you call that, whether you want to call it deconstruction or whatever, I find that the body is something that they wrestle with. And I found it interesting. Um, a lot of times when they think about what Christianity say about the body, they think in terms of shame. Like that's the starting point. And I thought, wow, if that's the starting point, what are we, what are we saying as the church that people think that our good, beautiful bodies that God has made in his image are something that we should be start with shame about? And I started thinking about this and, and realized that there was a lot we needed to talk about when it comes to the body. And the church really hasn't done a good job of that historically. We've kind of hit under the, under the carpet or we just haven't engaged well. And so I just began reading some of these books and really decided, well, next year in 2022, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this for, for three or four weeks and talk about the human body. Put books up there because I know that um, many of you like to read and if you want to go a little bit deeper, you can. Uh, I, put, I put those books up there. The bigger ones are the ones that I really enjoyed and I have quoted several times during the sermon including the sermons, including Sam Alberry's What Does What Got Us to Say About Our Bodies. That's been a really great book. And then I also really enjoyed Preston Sprinkle, uh, his book called Embodied, which the subtitle is Transgender Identities, the Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. That was a great book as well. But you would be blessed to read any of those books. They're very helpful in thinking these things through. And today we're, 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 di- we're digging deep. Um, the title of our sermon is sexed bodies. And my wife was like, what, do, what does that mean? <laughs> and so I thought, I need to tell you. I need to tell you what sex bodies mean. And here's what it means. It simply means bodies that have sexual organs on them. That's, that's all I mean by it. Bodies that have sexual organs on them. We were created in the image of God, and our bodies are created with sexual parts, with private parts, with genitals. I'm just going to throw it out there and say it so we can get it out there as we talk about it. But as we talk about it, here's the interesting thing. People tend to talk about it in different ways and from different reference points. Uh, Some people think in terms of tradition. This is what humans have always done when it comes to this area, so we need to keep doing that. While other people think in terms of human experience, So what is an individual's experience of their sex body? That matters more than what tradition says. Some people would think about it more this way. We need to talk about these things in terms of biology or psychology. Or some might even say we need to think about these topics in terms of religion or in terms of human progress. 
And so as we talk about these things, we're not even starting from the same reference point. And the reason for that is most of us talk about these things and most things in our culture through the glasses of culture wars. Do you know what I mean when I say culture wars? It's the politicized, polarized moment that we're in right now where everything is a fight. Everything is a fight. I mean, if I, I can just say this. Gender and sports, and everybody's blood pressure just went up. I can say gender and bathrooms, and everybody's blood pressure went up just because we are living in this moment where our culture is fighting within and of itself as to what is good and what will help people flourish and what will not. We live in the middle of a culture war. The problem, though, with a culture war approach to these things is that we start off being against something else rather than for something else. We start off being against something else rather than for something else. And so even as we talk about gender in bathrooms or gender in sports, you automatically think I am against fill in the blank. Now, to be honest, a lot of people would say, well, hold on, I'm for human rights, and that's why I take the position I do. But you realize the person right across the aisle from you says the exact same thing. They're for human rights, and that's why they take the exact same position that they do. So we, we start off with this point where we're against something. Today, I want to take a step back. I want to take off the glasses of the culture war, and I want to put on some different glasses. I want to put on some glasses for followers of Jesus and ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus when it comes to all these things? What does it mean to follow Jesus with our sexed bodies? What does Jesus have to say about gender? What is his vision for these things? How can we follow Jesus in this cultural moment? Now, obviously, I'm not going to be able to talk about everything. I'm going to do my best to stay at about 30 minutes. But with that in mind, let's look at Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he departed from Galilee and went to the region of Judea across from the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore... What God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? Jesus tells them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. 
his disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. And Jesus responded, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. The word of God. A Toyota Tacoma with two doors, two-wheel drive, manual stick transmission, color silver or gray. That's the design for a car that I decided would be the best for me in the stage of life I was in. I didn't need a lot of room. I was unmarried at the time, no kids, so I just really needed a second door where one of my friends could sit. You know, I didn't need to drive smooth in a manual transmission. I could do, you know, be a little jerky on the, on the clutch because I didn't have many people riding with me and that got better gas mileage. And I really wanted a truck because it was cool, right? That's what I decided that I needed, but I, I had a Honda sedan and I decided that I wanted to go to the used car lot and see what I could get. And so I walked onto that used car lot and I was immediately approached by a salesman and he was on me like glue. And I said, here's what I want. A Toyota Tacoma, two door, two wheel drive, manual transmission, silver or gray, doesn't matter, one of those two. And he said, it is your lucky day. I have something for you. Hop in my car, we'll go to the other side of the lot. I have just what you're looking for. So I got in his car, we went to the other side of the lot and we got out and there was a Toyota Tacoma, extra cab, meaning it had four doors, aqua with a purple stripe down it, manual transmission. Now, for a moment, I thought, I like Aqua because I like the dolphins, but that's not the design. That's not the vision for me. So I said, maybe you didn't hear me. I like the Toyota Tacoma, but two-door, two-wheel drive, manual transmission rather than automatic. Uh, the Aqua's cool, but I really want silver or gray. He said, oh, okay, silver or gray, sorry. Hop back in the car, let's go to the other side of the lot. We went to the other side of the lot, and there was a silver and gray Dodge Ram, manual transmission, two-door, two-wheel drive, but it was a Dodge Ram. You get the point. Uh, after the second time, I realized he did not have the design that I was looking for, and he was going to try and sell me a car all afternoon. And so I said, look, man, if you don't have what I'm looking for, I don't need to go to every car here and say no individually. I already have a vision. I already have a design that works for, for my life and works for me for flourishing. And so I don't need to say yes or no to everything. I already know what I'm looking for. In Matthew 19, the Pharisees try and trap Jesus. They, they try and get him to say something that will get him in trouble about God's law. They, they bring up a case study about divorce to him. And they ask him, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? And what they're getting into was an argument among the Pharisees because some said, uh, listen, you can divorce your wife for any reason. If you do not like her cooking, then she's not being a good wife and you can divorce her. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out if Jesus is going to answer it in a way that's favorable to them or if he's going to, to say something that will entrap his own words and make him say something against God. But rather than getting into that situation, he takes a step way back and he gives them the design and the vision for human flourishing. Like used car salesmen, the Pharisees approached Jesus with a make and a model and a color. And Jesus takes a step back and says, hold on here. Let me give you the big picture of God's design. Then we can talk and say yes or no to what you are talking about. And he does just that in verse 4. He says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? Jesus is starting way further back than where the Pharisees are. But notice where he starts. Jesus gives a vision and a design, and he gets it from the Bible. I mean, that's like the most basic thing. Haven't you read? He's talking about their own scriptures. He's talking about the fact that in Genesis 1, God was there at the beginning, and God was the creator. And then he mentions male and female. And in that story in Genesis 1, that story is all about complementary creation. If you have read Genesis 1, you know, in the beginning, God created the and the earth, the heavens and the earth. And then you know as the story progresses, it goes from heavens and earth to light and darkness, to day and night, to evening and morning, to land and sky, to earth and sea, to sun and moon, and then the height of that story is male and female. Jesus is giving a vision of a created order that complements each other and goes together. Sexed bodies in the very design of creation. Where man and woman, male and female, are both created intentionally by God to reflect his glory with equal brilliance. What is more glorious, the sun or the moon? Now, you might have an opinion, but both are equally brilliant, not necessarily in their light, but in their beauty and how they function together. Male and female were created by God intentionally to reflect his glory together, so much so that civilization cannot survive without both man and woman, without both woman and man. In fact, the very first calling 
that Adam and Eve are called to is be fruitful and multiply. In other words, make babies and extend the borders of Eden so that my glory, God says, my glory expands more and more and more. And Adam and Eve cannot do this without each other. In fact, it is so bound up in creation that their body parts actually fit together. And when they fit together, the possibility of another image bearer being born through them happens. So that in the most intimate act that their bodies can do, these two image bearers who need each other can produce another image bearer and therefore fulfill the calling that they have to expand God's glory throughout the world. That is amazing to think about. Jesus starts there with this beautiful vision of the way that creation was supposed to work. And then he goes on in verse 5 and 6, and he says, he also said, for this reason, in other words, because God made them male and female, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Notice that Jesus, first of all, talks about the design for humanity and how it's supposed to work. Then he gets into marriage and a vision for human flourishing where man and woman with co-equal brilliance come together to create something new. The man leaves his parents and creates a new family with this woman so that both together they can reflect the glory of God. But notice that Jesus gives this vision This design from the Bible with a view of complementary creation of gender in sex bodies. Gender in sexed bodies. Did you notice how he said male and female and then almost interchangeably he says man and woman. For Jesus, these two things are so similar. Jesus gives a vision for human flourishing that includes gender and sex bodies in man and wife. Now, when you understand that this is the same as when I said, I want a Toyota Tacoma two-wheel drive with two doors, a manual transmission, and silver. When you understand that that's what Jesus is doing here, it clarifies a lot of things. First of all, it clarifies that we as Christians should not primarily be against something in our culture. Rather, we are first and foremost for something. We are first and foremost for Jesus and for his vision of human flourishing, which means being for marriage between a man and a woman. That's where we start, not what we're against. But then that also means that Jesus isn't silent when it comes to so many issues in our culture. When people bring different designs to us as Christians and say, what about this? What about this? We have the design. We have what Jesus 
has said. I, I saw a little video where uh, someone hauled up these signs that said, things Jesus never said anything about. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. Jesus never said anything about gender. And it's simply not true. Because in this passage, he is giving us the design and the vision for human flourishing. So when we talk about something like homosexuality, we must understand that a man and a woman being together in marriage is really baked into the design of how civilization grows. Every human being in this room, every human being in our city, every human being in the world could not have happened without a man and a woman. Now, we've figured out how to do that in science labs, but still, if a man has not been part of the process and a woman has not been a part of the process, no human being. No human being. I I remember when I first learned about the birds and the bees. And as a young boy, you're kind of curious. And then I figured out where people came from. Like, when a man and a woman have sex, that's where a person comes from. And then you start looking around, you're like, there are a lot of people. (laughs) You start doing the math, and you're like, there are a lot of men and women having sex. Mom and Dad, how many people are there in the world? Five billion? Oh, my goodness. But you start to think about that, and... And it's just baked into the design of what it means for humans to flourish. So here we are as image bearers of God, right, that need each other in order to flourish. Now, now let me speak strongly here because uh, the church has often talked down or cruelly to those who are homosexual. They are image bearers of God, whether they believe this or not. And there is no room for a Christian to be cruel or violent or anything but love their neighbors in truth. Okay? At the same time, part of our calling is that we as image bearers need the opposite gender. A room full of man cannot grow humanity. A room full of women cannot grow humanity. We need each other as men and as women. It is baked into the design of how humanity is to work. When we look at this design, we can also talk about something like gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria being that people have one, uh, have a male body part or a female body part, but they feel like they're different. They feel like, I was born a man, but I should be a woman, or vice versa. At the same time, we look at this, and and Jesus doesn't present a spectrum on this. He presents a binary. He says, God created them, male and female, and therefore, a man leaves his parents for his wife. For him, gender and sexuality are one in the same. Now, for certain, gender is something that can be culturally constructed. And what I mean by that is our ideas of a man and our ideas of a woman often come from the culture that we grew up in. But that's not all gender is. 
Right here we have Jesus presenting a man and a woman, a male and a female, as either or, not something in between. When we talk about gender roles, now, again, I'm going to critique the church as much as I critique the the culture. When we talk about gender roles, where a woman is a woman and she should do this and a man's a man and he should do this, much of our idea about gender roles, as Christians even, don't come from the Bible, they come from our culture. I remember being in a college Bible study with other men, other young men, and it was a Bible study for men. And man, the, the burdens that were put on us as like 20-year-old young men of all these things that we had to live up to in order to be a Christian man, it was so disheartening. It's like, I can't do all this stuff. And the, re- the reason that we get so confused is because we often look at the scriptures and there, there might be something that is just simply described, like Samson was strong, so men should be strong. But Samson isn't someone that is prescribed, he's just described. And so, so if we look at the Bible and we start taking things that just happen and saying this is a prescription for everything, that's when we get confused. At the same time, There is a difference in the Bible between men and women. I mean, right here, Jesus says a man will leave his father and join with his wife. It doesn't say, you know, a woman will leave her father and mother. And that just simply put, there are differences in the Bible. When we talk about gender roles, so much is cultural, but there is some things theological. And we can't look at the church's misuse of that category and decide to disuse that category. Rather, we have to rightly use the idea of gender roles. Tim Keller, who's brilliant, he says, what what if we did this? Instead of overly defining our gender roles or repressing all the differences between gender, what if we just investigated? Like in our Christian community, what if we just looked around and, and said, what are the difference between men and women that we see right here in our church in Hollywood, Florida? And we began to appreciate how God has made us differently here in this context. Men and women need each other. That's the design that Jesus gets at. And I know what you say. I know, I, John, this is beautiful, but the world doesn't work this way. I mean, come on. Come on, I'm, I'm really happy you gave us Jesus' vision here, but this is not the way the world is. But you realize that's the exact discussion that Jesus is in. Uh, Jesus gives the vision, and the Pharisees come right back and says, well, then why did Moses allow people to get divorced? And Jesus says in verse 8 through 9, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives But then what? But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Uh, See, what what had happened is Moses had created a law. There was a law so that men who did dump their wives, the wife who was dumped would still be protected by law. Because women in their society were incredibly vulnerable. And so the law that was made was not to say everyone should get a divorce when they can't get along. Rather, it was to say in a broken world, there are hard-hearted men 
who ditch their wives. And when they do, there should be laws to protect those women from being further hurt and further abused. To use the car illustration, it was like an airbag, right? Just because there's an airbag in the car doesn't mean we should all drive our cars into the wall. The, The airbag is there when things go drastically wrong. Jesus' disciples get this, and in verse 10, they ask him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, it's clicking with the disciples, like, if Jesus, what you're saying is like, this is a lifelong thing, that it might be better not to get married. Which is interesting, because a lot of times we talk about how hard it is to be single, and it is hard. And what the disciples are saying is it might be just as hard to be married. a broken world that we live in, and Jesus furthers that by saying this in verse 11. He begins to talk about eunuchs in verse 11. If you can go to the next slide, he says, but Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by man. Now what Jesus is getting at is maybe it is better to be single, when marriage is so hard, and here's some examples from their current culture, but it's interesting the example he uses. A eunuch. A eunuch was someone who was born with male genitalia that did not function fully. And Jesus says there's two reasons that it didn't function fully. One is that they could be born that way. In other words, they were born with male genitalia that didn't fully function in a reproductive way, or they were made that way. In this culture, there could be people who were born asexual in terms of their desire. They had no desire for sex. And these men were often good leaders because they were never distracted by sex. Imagine a politician who had no skeletons in the closet because he didn't care. There were people who were born that way. There were people uh, also who were infertile. In other words, there were men who could not produce a baby with a woman. And because of that, these men were often used as concubines by wealthy women because they could not impregnate them. But then there were some that were made to be eunuchs, and these were people who were castrated. These were people whose male genitalia was harmed so that when they grew up, they could not be uh, distracted by a king's harem. They could serve closely with the king, but there was no desire for the women that the king had. And in fact, these ones who were castrated often looked very different because they were castrated as boys. And so when they went through puberty, they didn't go through puberty. And so they would look like adult boys because there would be no beard. The Adam's apple might look different. There was no drop in their voice that happened. And people just saw them as weird. Eunuchs did not fit. They did not fit well into society. They were not really seen as men. They were not seen as true men. What could it be like for us as the church to see people who don't fit into the design? The design is here, and yet the reality of a broken world is there are people who do not fit. 
There are people who do not fit. Maybe you're here and you don't fit. And because you don't fit, you have been hurt and maybe even abused. I want you to hear this. Jesus sees you. He doesn't say there might be eunuchs. Somewhere out there, he says, there are eunuchs. He sees. And he knows. He knows. I remember one time in St. Louis, this was before Bruce Jenner had become Caitlyn Jenner. And <clears throat> we had a, a man in our, tr- in our community who dressed as a woman and began hanging around the church. And at first, we kind of didn't know what to do because this person was really drawn to the church, but I had never pastored someone through that before, and so I was like, I just felt exposed. But I thought to myself, where else is this person going to go? How else are they going to meet Jesus if not here? And there was a woman in our church who came up to me, and she, she had come from more of a tribal culture, and this was just very new to her. And she just said, I just would feel much more comfortable if that person was not here. She saw them, but in seeing them, she wanted to exclude them. And I thought, no, 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 no. No, it might make you uncomfortable. But if Jesus sees people, if Jesus sees eunuchs, If Jesus sees people who are struggling with same-sex attraction, if Jesus sees people who are struggling with their gender identity, if, if Jesus sees people, then we need to see people too. And that doesn't mean that we have to change the design. It's not ours to change. But it does mean that we need to be Jesus in our society. We need to be Jesus because Jesus calls us all to himself. Jesus calls us all to put on these glasses of his design and follow him. The the last verse in this passage, if you can go to the next slide, Jesus gives one more category of eunuch. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't think he's necessarily talking about self-mutilation. I think he's saying that there are people who see how important he is as king and how important his kingdom is. And because of that, they say, I will remain single the rest of my life so I can fully, uninhibitedly serve the Lord Jesus. And Jesus says, this should be normal. This should be normal. And if we take a step back, we realize that Jesus is calling us all to a very hard thing in this passage. Whether you are same-sex attracted or not, whether you are a man or woman, whether you are single or married, Jesus is calling us all to prioritize him and his kingdom and obey him together. The design is there. We live in a fallen, broken world. Whether we have been divorced, or whether we are single in pain, or whether we long for someone who is not the opposite gender, but is our gender, or whether we struggle with our gender identity, there there is a design. 
But there is also a Lord and Savior who loves us and sees us and calls us to himself and calls us together to be part of his kingdom and calls us to love him and serve him. And the only reason that he calls us to love and serve him is because he knows when we behold him is when everything makes a little more sense. We are broken people living in a broken world. We, we are people who are confused about so much more than this. And yet our Savior engages us and calls us to himself for the sake of being part of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so wherever you are today, my, my, my thought is if I asked you how many of you felt pained during the last half hour, most of you would raise your hand. But whatever pain you're in, can you bring it to the Savior who sees you and who calls you to himself so that you can behold who he is? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.